Oh, hang on. Let me just do this and put it in gallery view. There you are. Hello, this is Greg Banyan, the Infinite Breath podcast about addiction. And today is my extreme pleasure to welcome Justin, because I've been sober now for eight years and ooh, coming on to a month. And Justin is my sponsor. Still is the person I go to from time to time for advice and a good old chat about life. Um, and yeah, so it was, we met, I was in and out of AA for about a year. I think more or less we'd met each other. And then when I finally, after everyone told me, just go to sponsor, I actually sent you a message and you said, yes, we were very happy to do so. And it was cool. And that night you gave me the right questions to answer. You, and you knew, think you knew I was serious, but you knew what to ask me. And we made a deal. Um, and I remember specifically, and it took me like a day to realize that I had a physical and mental illness. And uh, since then, I've never drunk, man. Amazing. You remember the questions. Huh? Do you remember what questions I asked? Must have been challenging questions, maybe. Well, what I remember is it was the it was the feeling like you were um you it was you and I think it was the other guy called Paul and he was in the background kind of almost saying something stupid, you know. But you were just maybe asking me, "Are you doing this? Do you want to do that? How do you feel?" And I said something like ninety nine percent to it because I was being as honest as I could like you know are you going to drink or whatever and I was like look I, I don't know but I'm ready to go you know can't remember what it was but you were you were yeah. direct and I answered them totally honestly so I think you appreciated that you know um, I do yeah, like the question though I think you have to kind of maybe what uh, you ask what are they called rhetorical questions you know kind of right. questions that just challenge you into action maybe yeah yeah or challenge you to really think like am I doing this because or I should do it, or is this like serious? Because, and I kind of learned that from you as well with the sponsor I had. You asked me to make sure that they really want to do this, otherwise, they're wasting time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, let's crack on. So, basically, in the next minute or two, up to you who you are, what's going on in your life, how you're feeling today, what's, what you do for a living, explain yourself a little bit, and that's it. My name's Justin, um, recovering addict alcoholic. Um, I've got just I just actually a couple of weeks ago celebrated 15 years of sobriety. Because we're similar days, yeah. Yeah. So every time I get to 15 years, I you get a little bit more self-reflective. Like you start thinking 15 years is a chunk of life. Well, first of all, it was one year, and first of all, it was a week of sobriety. Then a month and the year you stay year, you kind of go, wow, I can do it. He did a year and then five years, 10 years, now 15 years. You get a little bit self-reflective and start thinking about the journey. It's kind of nice. You know, there's a guy I know uh, who is, he's got the same, uh, same birthday more or less as me. We celebrate it every year at the same time, who just got 50 years, 50 years. So that keeps your feet on the ground a bit because they've only got 15. This guy's got 50 years. I mean, it's amazing. So it, it is possible to live a very fulfilled and full life without alcohol or um, mood-altering substances. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, mood-altering substances can be a bit of a sort of precarious definition Coffee can be mood altering, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I still drink coffee. Yeah, I had, I, had, I had too many today. The funny thing is, now that I kind of know where I'm going, and I was like, ah, I was getting really irritable. Again, people that weren't even around me. 
And I was like, whoa, man, you've got to like eat some food or do something different. You know, I could see it coming on, but I do love my coffee. I'm English too. Yeah. Yes. Tea. Yeah. What so about, where do you live then? And what, what is it you do at the moment? Just to, just to let people know a little bit about you. I live in Spain. I've lived here for a long time, maybe up to 20 years now. Um, I'm teaching English. I'm writing English courses. I develop websites, make videos, content for websites, a little bit of uh, online stuff, you know. Um, yeah. English related, really, in the world of English. Yeah. Uh, but I forgot the video content as well, man. You do that, don't you? Not so much. I haven't had much of that recently, but I'm thinking about doing something around tourism here in Seville because it should come back after COVID if that story ever ends and it would be nice to have something you know just point your camera at things and tell a few stories need a need a good business model i'm not got that yet but just thinking about it something like that yeah i like it i like it just keeps me occupied keeps the brain creative passion project yeah like i mean i can't afford to do any passion projects now you have to almost focus on if you're going to spend some time in it, will it bring in some money? It will potentially bring in some money, but yeah, see how it goes. All right, cool, man. Well, look, what I, what I did yesterday and what I'm going to keep doing, I might change the questions around. But I like the idea of kind of quick fire questions. So yeah. you know, the first thing that comes to mind, that type of stuff, nothing major. Um, but ten questions. We'll see if we can get it down to like a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Um, I'm just going to ask you first thing that comes to mind. Dead, dead quick. Boom. And then we'll go straight to the next question. Deal? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say the wrong thing. No, just fucking let it out. It's a addiction podcast. We've got to be honest. Okay, now they're easy questions. Right. Uh, question one. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Um, maybe just thinking, being in the present and thinking, of, thinking and enjoying one thing at one time. Okay, present one thing at one time, like it. Uh, what place would you most like to visit anywhere in the world? Oh, um, um, probably, probably Japan. Japan, all right, wasn't expecting that one. Nice one. What's your favorite color and why? It's, it's a dark red, the crimson blood red. Um, because it's, I, I get a lot of feeling from color. I can mm-hmm. look at color and feel it. And that one's very visceral. Yeah, my, mine's red as well. Uh, okay, uh, one thing you like about yourself. I think I'm tranquil and calm. <clears throat> so, yeah. Like yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, generally try to be level-headed, balanced. Nice. Yeah. Do you believe in God? Yes. Okay. Do you want to elaborate or just God's God's like kind of like I I have have a spirituality. I don't believe in a religious God, like in a defined God in the heaven with a long white beard and that kind of Buddha or anything like that. But I have a spiritual belief and a higher power. Yes. God, me, could be. Defined as many different things, yeah. Yeah. Hard. 
Okay, love it, love it. Uh, what talent would you most like to have? What talent would you most like to have? Oh, I'd love to be a very good singer dancer. Okay, nice one. Didn't know that. Inhibited with dancing, frightened of my life to get up and dance in front of other people. Uh, All right. Therefore, I've got work to do in that department, but uh, I'd love to be able to, like a Fred Astaire or something. Fred Astaire, okay. And that yeah, kind singer, of singer dancer, you know, somebody who can just dance. Right. But that brings us to the next question in a weird kind of way. Um, if you could be called by another name, what would you like to be called? Is it Fred? Oh, like any name. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't have. I can't think of that one. Okay, no worries. No worries. What is your favorite song of this week? Everyone has one. What's your favorite song at the moment? Favorite song of this week. Um, it is. I need to open up my thing. What is it called? Um, oh. You're going to have to. Well, I was going to send you one the other day because I was listening to Van Morrison and Madam George. Because mm. all the Irishmen, you know, and I was like, oh, I'll send that to Justin. Yeah, I do like Van Morrison. I think it, it, the, 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 there was one. I was watching a documentary on the Kinks that was really good. So that's the only thing that's popping into my head. It was a song. It's a song from the album Victoria, that album by the Kinks. Is the one I was, I was listening pretty much to out there. This time tomorrow, is it that one? Yeah. This yeah. time tomorrow. They had some pretty special songs. Yeah, yeah. They've done, they've done loads. Love them. All right. Um, what is your favorite swear word? Probably piss off, because it's more effective than fuck off. Fuck off is just rude and. Piss off yeah. has a sharp biting edge to it, like where people listen to you a bit more, maybe. Like if you maybe just like, right. you know. <laughs> it's not too harsh, but it goes straight to the piss off. Okay, I like it, I like it. Final question. What is your motto on life? Oh, God. I don't know. Um, I don't have, I don't, you know, I don't really know if I have one. They all, if you say something, it sounds too much like a cliche or. It or, can do, but. Maybe cast a wide spiritual net. Like it. Yeah, no, I like it. And that, um, that's the end of those questions. But on that point, actually, that reminds me of when you reminded me at the beginning about spirituality and what it might be and how we can see things is by telling me to go back. If you remember, I'd go back and think of moments when you felt some kind of spiritual connection in your past. So if you right. walk in after all that drinking, you basically don't believe in anything. And um, I remember that. It was really handy. So you just pick little moments in your life where like, hang on, I remember that for some feeling. And that was a good starter base, you know, really good. Well, that, yeah, that's, that was something I don't know. I don't, I think I might've just got there, got there myself where I decided that I had to decide what a spiritual experience was for myself, not what the definition is on, on Wikipedia or anything. And then maybe talk to a few people about, if you ask a few people, what can you describe a spiritual experience? Then that opens up the definition for what could be a spiritual experience to, yeah. to, to a huge amount of things. So for example, 
I, I used to know one guy who was a ship's captain and he wasn't religious, but he believed in something. And he would said that he used to have spiritual experiences sailing on boats, watching dolphins, schools of dolphins jump up just like at sunset or something, something very beautiful. And he would get that feeling that there was something else from that. That was his definition of a spiritual experience. So you can define them. And, and then I started thinking about my life and obviously spoke to you about it. Going back through different episodes and saying, yeah, that was definitely a spiritual experience. And maybe even negative stuff. I remember the death of my mother, which was devastating at the time, even though it was what you consider negative, a spiritual experience at the time. I felt something the moment she passed. I felt spirit in, of, of a human move from physical form to somewhere else. So that was something I looked back on and said, yeah, okay, you know, there's something else there. And you mm. kind of start, you know, realizing this. There's things that you can define for yourself. Uh, so that was that was a real big shift in uh, my my worldview. No, I like it. What you said. There's things that you can define yourself because yeah, it's all about perception, I suppose, and how the feeling. But then the one, the thing you just reminded me because in my adult life not having me next to the person that died or, or kind of that close, luckily. Uh, well, my granddad, but um, I wasn't necessarily right in the same place, but my cat, Betty, it was so weird because I swear to God, she was so old and we spent so much time together. And I eventually went to uh, came back one night and she was funny because Minion was with me. Uh, we got the cat together in Brighton then we came to Barcelona, but we weren't together. and went back to the flat and she was ill anyway. I was due to have her put down, but I was putting it off. And she had a little, another little stroke, I could tell. So I was like, I felt so bad. It's like, we've got to go to the 24-hour now. And we did. And she was quite restful and peaceful. And then the moment, though, um, when they gave her the final injection and went in, I could feel it in my entire body. Just something. And it was probably my mixture of my emotions. But the woman said, yeah, she's, she's, she's gone now. And I could feel it, man. It was the most amazing thing. Yeah. And I didn't feel particularly sad. It, was just, it wasn't great or anything, but I was like, wow, I could feel the spirit leave. And then you see the body, and it was just the body. And yeah. it was almost the relief, but it was weird. And then because people told me that if it is time for the person or the, the thing or the animal, whatever it may be, to die, then they'll stick around. Their spirit will stick around for a few days or a week, and then they'll go. And other people apparently maybe have gone before their time in the middle of their life or something. They, they might stick around more. I really don't know much about this, but taking those things in. Betty, I swear to you, was in that flat with me for a few days. It was surreal. And I could, the emotion would hit me so hard at some moments. And then after a week of really calmed down, I felt like she wasn't there. And the other cat, who you, it was next door, who used to come in and like have a little chat around with Betty and see, she wouldn't even come in. She stopped coming in for a week or two. And cats have got that sixth sense about stuff like that, don't they? Yes. Uh, I think if you find you, if you talk to people who've gone through, death family member experiences quite a few will have similar stories where they yeah they felt something else and it's a good it's a good little intuition you know it's a good little example of well you know obviously with recovering from addiction 
they often try and suggest these, this spiritual transformation as important. And if you can identify something to help you get there or something to you know, identify a belief in something else, then, then that's useful yeah. for, for recovery from, uh, from alcoholism or addiction. Totally, because that, that then leads me going back to like um, AA and also like what Jung said about there's a guy, a very wealthy guy that couldn't get sober in the 50s or 40s, I think. And I don't know if it was AA or the fact that Jung realized he had to have a spiritual experience for this to change. It wasn't something mechanical. And underneath, there's, a, there's various opinions on AA. I still have many good words for it and a few things I'm, I'm like, maybe it doesn't work for everyone. But underneath, and I think I remember having this conversation with you, it was about five, six months in, I really realized it was a spiritual program. And I could feel that, not like every single minute of the day, but I started to understand that, you know? Uh, and it really is because that's where the change needs to come in, I think. Otherwise, you're still looking for something on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Jung said a lot of profound stuff, but one of them, one of the most profound was that it's only in the state of complete abandonment and loneliness that we experience the helpful powers of our own natures. So what does that mean? Well, I think it's something to do with negative, using our negative experiences as transformative. Yes. So we have, obviously, you know, you go into the, the dark side and the light side. We have, you know, the mythical dragon to slay. We have to face down the demons. But somewhere along the line with those deep, maybe yeah maybe extremely negative at times it, your your internal powers impel change and i think for, for me this is definitely true um it's often referred to as maybe spiritual change or spiritual transformation and you must you have to define those experiences for yourself and it's not usually like a dramatic burning bush white light moment but something more normal. Mm. Um, uh, you just need to know what to look for, you know. And so if you're talking to other people about what happens to them, then you can slowly figure it out for yourself, perhaps. Uh, but Jung, Jung was often said that uh, that this was a fundamental law of life. Uh, that's how that's how deep it, it went for for some people. Um, so change, you, you know, you, you um, acceptance of, let's say, acceptance of change is, is the essence of the moral problem. And the, the acid tests on one's whole outlook on life. You know, it's like yeah. um, uh, really, really important. Change in name and loss. I was reading something, I think it's by a guy called Grozny, and uh, life is full of loss. It depends how we deal with that loss or how we accept that loss. And it's a fundamental principle. You can be every single day of your life, you know, but how you deal with it um, or rather let it go is important. I keep repeating these things to myself. I make meditations about them, but I still got to work on it to a point. <clears throat> but to me, it, it ties in with change. The change is happening and accepting that and the, and the loss as well. The loss of either the good stuff or the bad stuff. Well, you know, what we have is 
people's trauma conditioning people to to not deal with it me this is classic my this is classic from my story where i would have a very good ability to not look at the the, the hard stuff to look at and and that was the way i survived but that doesn't work for forever you know mm-hmm. um so your I guess you know your your addictions then restrict your worldview into just looking at the addiction eventually. Um, so when you when you start to get sober, you have to do the hard work. You have to look at all the past, look at all the trauma to learn more about yourself because it's only really with self knowledge that you learn how to how to be free, which goes goes back to kind of the the responsibility thing you were talking about earlier. So what we're talking about is the, this is something that was taught to me, um, the the paradox, they call it a paradox of responsibility. So my old way of thinking was, I can reach a sense of freedom by offloading all my responsibilities, except for pure hedonistic enjoyment. When you're young, you can do this very well. You don't need much to survive. You just need yourself and five euros to have fun and, and you have a sense of freedom. You don't you know, have to worry about expenses or life or anything else. But um, we all know that that can't last forever either. It's just, it's just not realistic. But quite often with addicts, the, the, the compulsion drives them to stay that way for for years and years sometimes some people don't ever recover but when when i got sober i came to realize that it was only by accepting responsibility for myself that you gain the freedom to choose so you choose yeah. actions which are beneficial to you that gives you freedom it's the acceptance of responsibility for yourself and then wider responsibilities that gives you real freedom and not the abdication of freedom, like I, I used to think. Um, you know, running away from problems, not looking at your stuff, not looking at your shit, just on the run. Um, you know, uh, most people don't get away with it. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't get away with it. It caught, it caught, caught up with me. So <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, getting sober you know changing looking at your addiction looking at your demons knowing getting to know yourself it's a journey but it's exciting and i that's a good way to look at it like it's really it was and it still is very very exciting interesting yeah to dive in finding out you call it peeling peeling back the layers on the onion peeling back the layers of an onion yeah every so often you get a deeper i get a deeper perspective of reality and it's quite shocking it's uncomfortable Mm. but but it's good as well it probably means you're it's you're becoming maybe more authentic the more the, the more real person you know 
there's less of a facade and, and a pretense. I definitely had a, a face that would be able to manipulate, but you know, yeah. you know, don't now not interested in that at all. So um, within that within that subject, the paradox of responsibility, <clears throat> what was it? Do you because I, I think about this sometimes and I'm like, was it one thing that made me go down that particular road? It was enjoyable at first and it got quite serious and other people telling me and then it was a disaster. But would you say it was one thing or would you say it was a collection of things or a pattern from early on that made you go towards constantly drinking? I never saw you because obviously you were sober when I met you. Um, but would you did you ever manage to define it? I haven't and I sometimes don't feel like I need to. But do you... It's conditioning and upbringing, societal, it's a, it's a pattern and it's a mixture of different things. And it's a different thing for everyone. Mm. Yeah, there's no one definition, but I don't think there's many addicts that out there that haven't gone through some sort of psychological trauma mm. in, in their upbringing. Something they're trying to escape from because yeah. addiction is escapism. Totally, totally. And I believe it has a lot to do with trauma. And yeah. the word can be a bit heavy, but it can be different types of trauma. Yeah, and you know, it, you know, everybody's going to have issues and things that don't go well in their lives, but it's how to deal with them. That's the most important thing. Um, you know, you often, you often talk about the, the opposite of addiction is community, right? You often say that. Connection, it's, an, yeah. it's an interesting one. It's kind of, it may be a bit too simplistic for me, but um, the idea, uh, maybe the idea is that by yourself, you end up by your own. You have that, you know, uh, sense of abandonment, loneliness, nobody understands me. And then the opposite of that is joining a community that understands exactly what you're talking about. So that's that's fundamental. You, you can't be on your own in this process. Not in that process. And then one of the reasons I, I go for that one, because I think it does make a lot of sense, is um, I find the spirit is about connection. To me, that's what, that's what it yeah. is when you feel connected. But also the way that we live in our lives, and let's say the past 100 years or so, and I'm reading the book about it now, um, and how we, we're designed to be in tribes, human beings, really, you know? And to, yeah. to look, that's why we survived. That's why we got out, out of the jungles, out of the, de out of the deserts in, in Sahara and stuff, because we managed to think and work as a team. And the way we live our lives, in a gentleness generalizing in the West, for example, is very much in isolation. I think, even though we've got the technology and I love all these things, I go in between isolation and then being around people a lot. Um, but that was as well kind of my younger behavior um, when, when I was younger and stuff. But I do believe that has a large part to play with addiction in the isolation. You aren't going to express yourself. You maybe don't have the creativity, the ideas that you want. Some people do, some people don't. I don't have the answer for this, but I really believe that um, the community is part of the part of the cure. If you can have it, if it's if it's a sympathetic community, if it's an empathetic community where you can work together, you can create together. Because within AA that we went to, there, there is that for the specific problem. But in generalize, I'm generalizing now as well in the way people live their lives. I think there's a lot of isolation. And whenever I start these conversations with people, things like that do come up, and especially like people not expressing themselves and wanting to say things. So I always try and push that a little bit and then get people communicating like what's happening now in the uh, Facebook groups. Amazing. Just doing this 11-day challenge and all these videos. And it, I'm watching the videos. 
and I'm like seeing people change over a few days because they can express and they feel more comfortable. And it's a mag- simple, but it's a magical little thing. And that's what I got out of AA as well, really, more than, more than anything probably because, let's say, half the time, it was probably a year, wasn't it? And then maybe two years, I drifted off a bit, but I was going. And I didn't want to go. Or like, yeah, but it becomes a habit. And that habit was definitely replacing the other habit. But when you get there, and for me, dropping the ego of like, oh, Bill's moaning again or whoever, you know. And I'd force myself sometimes. I'm like, no, listen, because if you don't go for a while, it could be strange. And I'd listen to whoever it was within seconds. I had empathy for them and I, and I related to them, even if they were moaning about something because they needed to express something and they wanted to. And to me, that was the power of AA with like good principles, you know, but it really was that, that connection with people that I, I grew, I suppose, a lot over the years and, and I didn't feel the same as I did when I walked in the door, but I could still go and associate and listen to someone say a few things that then they would, you could see the relief on them. And relief on me when you go, oh, you just said, it could be three sentences. But it was a relief. And then these things I still use all the time in these courses and meditations I'm doing is the key is some of the acting stuff in the AA is by like, let's get say Jim, Jim and Jane, but always the two I, I name. Jim over here, Jane over there. And Jim said something, and Jane was thinking about it, but couldn't say it, didn't want to speak. As soon as this guy over here said something, oh yeah, boom. And then they're off. And that's why I really employ people in the, the workshops, they're often surprised to speak and let it out. You can't force them. But that I noticed a lot in AA, and I did it. I would be quiet, and then it's a bit like the last, the last ten meetings, ten minutes of a meeting. You can be a quiet one, and there's a few moments of silence, and then the 10, last ten minutes. Oh, I wanna, I wanna, I know. We're all just kind of waiting. Like, do I feel like it? But I got that there, and um, that was probably one of the main things I got. Um, and how did you find the whole process for you? Because you still go there quite a lot, like I think. But the whole process, and what are the main benefits you got from it? Do you think? Just that, you know, that sense of community, you know, I, I think you're, you're very right when you listen to other people, you have a bit more perspective. Um, you, you immediately lose the sense of feeling so sorry for yourself too. You know, that you're, you're only, you're not the only one with this problem and probably, probably, other people have it, have it, had it much worse than you. Yeah. So there's just a, a just a, a very good, and, and then the constant reminders of things that you, you need to, to, to remember. You have to remember how bad it was. Mm. Um, uh, you, you know, you have to remember that there is a very destructive part of you, dark, dark part of everybody that wants to dominate and you have to keep that in its place yeah. uh, and, and that's why that's why any program it doesn't matter if it's AA or something else but as long as you've got a strong program that works for you um, that's the most important thing but yeah community seems to be very consistent and just outside of that, if you there's been studies made that people who live in community and have constant contact with other people are healthier and live longer. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if you're on your own, it's harder. Um, yeah. And then that just kind of underpins the point. Let's say. Yeah, I think. You it, know, it, I, it, I should include though that some people 
who some like for me i sometimes have to force myself to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i know yeah it's not it doesn't come it doesn't come easy i'm not running into these groups and embracing everybody by a long shot you know um it takes a bit of work it takes yeah. a deep of faith you see the benefits you you make a cost benefit analysis whatever it takes but yeah, and I find it humbling as well. Again, because I remember when I there was maybe I'd be going less, and then I'd pop in. I'd be like, it's a bit, it's a bit weird. You go, can be, you're not, you're not used to it. And uh, I'd go in with the ego because I'm feeling okay, blah 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 blah. And if anything, in AA and all the twelve steps in that community and stuff, it really did teach me to drop the ego. And now I say it to other people going in or maybe not going in, and it's definitely not for everyone. And I've figured that out more over the last few years, but you have to drop that ego and so many people don't want to or can't. And it's a, it's not just a, a, a written thing or something you're going to say. You've got to feel it and drop it. Like the first step is saying that uh, my life has become unmanageable. Now that can be an easy flow away sentence, but you told me to think about it for a week. We did um, a week by week stuff on that. And I did. And it took me a week because at first I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unmanageable. It's not great. And then you think again, then you think again, and you think about what you've been doing. For me, it was maybe two years worth or at least of genuine unmanageability, don't know how I survived. Um, and then you've got to really see that and feel that because otherwise you could just be like, I'm okay. I see it in a lot of people, you know, um, yeah, I'm better now, I've got it, you know, it's all good. And then six months later, it happens again. It just gets worse and worse. So you've got to get that sinking into you real quick. Yeah, but you can't teach it. That is, that's, that's the thing that has to come from the person. You know, they have mm. to realize those things for themselves. So and if you want to, if you want to guide another person, you must feel it from that person's psyche. So that's right. why it works from one, let's say one person with a similar problem to another person. They know they have the empathy. Um, so you don't have the judgment and maybe you just ask the question in the right way. You know, yeah. I think perhaps that maybe I, that's how, maybe I helped you. I, I asked you to think about something rather than tell you what to think. Yeah. yeah. You, As always, you were open enough to, to go, okay, I better come back to this guy next week with some sort of answer. So I'm going to think about it. And then you think more and more and more and you come yeah. to your own internal conclusion of whatever may be. Yeah, I, I, you have to because we. Um, some people don't get it and they keep talking about God and I know it isn't about God but it's in there and um, it's suggestion so you would suggest stuff to me you didn't never told me what to do right. there was responsibility like once a week we meet in that, uh, in that little chat about um, but like it was a responsibility but you'd suggest this suggest that and I would say like 99% of the time I did it because yeah man I wanted to do that you know but I, I always remind people like look it was a good year or even more before that let's say two years of people telling me Greg you're fucked but then a year before that of nipping into AA and not getting it and not no I think I had four months and I was doing fine and then of course I had one beer that was fine and second beer that was fine three days later it turned into meeting someone and I was fine but it turned into one glass of wine was like three in a night it was like boom it was that quick amazing and it took me months to come back months mm, yeah it's well yeah it's it's baffling how how that process works yeah 
So what 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 there there that's that's the point maybe we can get to. Um, what drives your motivation? That like that unconscious unconscious process of going from one to three in a night to four in a night and then every day. It's only it's almost an unconscious behavior, isn't it? It's just that you have no ability yeah. to stop that process. Well. I, it goes back to what we've discussed as well about choice. And I know I have choice now. I still have other addictive tendencies that I dive into and occasionally back off. But I, I for years, would wake up in the morning and go, oh, I can't do it. I don't, you know. And unfortunately, it's surrounded by these little shops that cost nothing. And you can be pissed in 10 minutes. And um, yeah. so I would do. And I always used to feel so weak about that. But I was convinced I didn't have a choice. Uh, really, really, really was at the time, but something happened that still intrigued me what that change was. The gift of desperation always comes to mind because I was so desperate that the change happened. But yeah, I was convinced I couldn't. And that's why now I feel better about talking about it and saying it to people, especially maybe after six months as well, I was getting used to it, saying you do have a choice. It is possible. And I would say it with confidence because it's possible. And you see it a lot in AA, people succeed, people fail, but it is possible. But uh, in those moments, in that time, I truly believe I couldn't. And you, it's the dopamine, the serotonin, all those beautiful little chemicals. You can get them from the outside in a little bottle very quickly. And you just stay there. I don't have the answers for all these things, but it still intrigues the hell out of me. You know? Well, I mean, you've heard me say this before, but I do love the question that Rumi asks. Uh, Rumi asks the question, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Yeah. So... That's just that's just a wonderful little question that you can ask yourself where obviously the prison metaphorical prison is the addiction prison. It could be yeah. a mental prison, a psychological prison, uh, many different layers to this, the spiritual, mental, emotional, creative, physical, but it's a self-made prison. Why yes. do you say, why do you choose? Why do you choose? to stay in prison. That's now, it, yeah, but, and, yeah. And I'm not gonna tell you the answer. You have, to, you have to work that out for yourself, you know? Totally, totally. But the reason I'm just flicking through something because um, I'm a big fan of making notes on this. We'd always discuss different things, rummy quotes and bits and bobs. And I, it was funny because now I'm traveling and I actually carry quite a lot of pieces of paper with me. But I didn't have this one. And I wrote a book for my friend with all my little bits and bobs in. And I told her, I was thinking about something. I said, man, you've got you've got to send me those photos of the book. And luckily she did. And there's something that really, really, really relates to what we are just talking about. Give me one second, because it, it relates to the loss as well, I think. Um, but, but, but I'm going to find it. There you go. Ah, and you know who it's by? <clears throat> it's by Shams Sabrizi, is it? Oh, yeah. He was the mentor of Rummy. Yes. Something like that. They were hanging out together in the old days in the sandals, walking around in the desert. God bless them. Um, I want to just read this one to you. You might know it, but it really resonates with what we're just saying. Thank God for technology. She sent it to me. All right. There is only one important point you must keep in your mind and let it be your guide. No matter what people call you, you are just who you are. Keep this truth. You must ask yourself, how it is you want to live. Well, hang on, I'll say it again. You must ask yourself how it is you want to live. We live and we die. This is the truth we can only face alone. No one can help us. So consider carefully 
What prevents you from living the way you want to live your life? What prevents you from living the way you want to live your life? It's a beauty. You could be asked until the day I'm 90. I don't quite have the answer, but it's great to question. Like I do it a lot with other people at the moment doing this coaching that I'm doing, and I'm asking them, and I have to stop and reflect and ask myself, because I know I'm doing things at the moment I don't want to, but I know some of it's work, and I know some of it's going to go to things I do want to do. And underlying, I wouldn't be able to do it if there wasn't some kind of pleasure and connection there. But those things, those secret talents, those ideas, what is it that prevents us from doing that? Because it's so simple. I'm sitting here every night looking out at this amazing view. It's the sea. I can almost see the curvature of the earth and the moon coming over. And then it makes you just think about, you just are the spirit, the soul, doing whatever you want. But we tend to restrict ourselves and society so much and parents and all these things without blaming them. But it happens. But yeah, what is it that prevents you from living the way you want to live your life? I do not have the answer, but it's a great question. Yeah, that's the power of it, isn't it? You know, the, these self-reflective stuff that um, make you think and possibly then evoke uh, mm. deep change. You know, uh, maybe there's just this slight gentle movement towards uh, psychological change. If mm. you identify with the word prison, or something yeah. like that then and you can sort of see you can get the concept that you have created your own problems which again goes back to recovery because it's so easy you walk in the door it's everyone else's fault you know yeah. in the first weeks months well yeah, you but- go through that i mean i mean yeah obviously it's easy to blame society your parents whatever um but what are you going to do about that? Even if that's true, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? You can't do anything about the past. So yeah. acceptance then is is the solution to that. And that's yeah. a whole different half hour, maybe. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, acceptance is acceptance is the key. Yeah. There's different, there's different people. I was speaking to someone the other day, and again, it was to do with AA, but then other things, and then energy work and body work, and she kind of gone away from AA. And I kind of understood why, but um, it was, what do you think? And this goes back to the trauma. I think the word itself is a bit too heavy because it can cover so much. It doesn't always have to be really heavy. But how Bill, is it, it was Bill, wasn't it? How Bill and Bob who started AA, he apparently had a very traumatic childhood that wasn't necessarily addressed in AA. Do you kind of agree with going towards people's trauma or if they're ready to talk about those things? Or do you think it's not accepted so much in AA? I find it reasonably open, but yeah, it wasn't a place where you'd go to specifically talk about these things and ruminate on them. But I do believe there's a lot of benefit in going back with other people that can help you and deal with that to release that trauma in some way. It's usually an energetic thing, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that maybe the, if, if you're dealing with just alcoholism, then the, the way to start is to deal with the trauma related to alcoholism. But quite often you'll find once people have done that and they've got some stability and sobriety and they feel a lot better about life, maybe their lives has become manageable again, then yeah. they go and do the deeper work. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a, another layer of the onion. Yeah, it's true. I have one for you before I go. Okay. This is for you. Maybe you've never heard this before, but I think it suits your personality. Go ahead. 
live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Oh yeah. The universe is working with me. I like that one as well for the, uh, the, I used to say that a lot. And then I'd go to the, into Spain to the Empedronado and they would just give me all the forms. And I was like, this is weird. But it's a law of attraction. Yeah, like it. Yeah, it's, a it again? Attraction. it's a law of attraction. It's, it's similar to it. Live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Love it. Because, yeah, you have to. You won't, like, because the brain uh, in your favor uh, is designed to make us survive, you know? And uh, appreciate that. Otherwise, you would, you would walk out into the road. But um, yeah, the happiness it, and then uh, believing in yeah, those things. It's, it's, it's a perspective, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a worldview that, uh, you know, we have everything we need. Yeah. And if you, if you kind of feel, and if you're feeling lucky, then your eyes are open to see those situations. Yes. Those coincidences, are they coincidences? It's something you made and manufactured before. I was talking to my friend about going to Bali. It's been a plan and different things have happened. And we're talking about it again today. What happens? I've been in this flat for months ago into the corner. I look down and I see a, a beer mat, funny enough, with fucking Bali written on it. I hadn't noticed that in like three or four months because my brain, my reticular activating yeah. system is going, hello, look for it. And whereas if we wake up going, for fuck's sake, I've got to deal with this. Oh, but bloody hell. You got to switch it out as quick as possible, you know. Um, every action, every action you take, every positive action you take for yourself, just makes that makes those connections better. Yeah, you know, it makes it like so. Breath work, meditation, mm -hmm. um, going to a meeting, prayer, whatever your thing is, exercise, yoga. You know, whatever whatever action is good, yeah. but we all need a program of actions to keep ourselves on the straight and narrow. No, it's true, man. It's really true. I I'm reasonably good at it, that I genuinely failed drastically. Um, but okay, before we go, um, any advice for anyone who's genuinely struggling right now, um, that you've experienced that you could help them in any way? Doesn't mean you have the answer, but like, what would you suggest that people could do if there's someone who's really watching this? That it doesn't doesn't know where to turn. It's still stuck in, in some addictive behavior. Um, well, I, somebody in the th in the thick of it won't hear anything. That's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, somebody they don't have the perception to hear this message. But maybe if you're feeling really desperate and you realize that you realize you're fucked. You're feeling really desperate, like you've mentioned, the, the gift of desperation. Then the, the message I have for them is there's a solution. There is, there's options. There's a choice, like you, you said earlier. There is always a choice. It's not what you want. It's not the one you want. But right. The, oh, this is yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I, 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 I like you, Maybe it's not the one you think you want. Mm. But... If you give it maybe 90 days, mm. I'll ask you that question again. You'll, you might answer, you probably answer differently. Yeah. I like though that you say it might not be the one that you specifically wanted that time, but there is a choice because uh, I do get it. I mean, you're in the throes of it. Like, no, no. And I had it with someone recently and so horrible to see, really horrible to see and painful. And then you don't know what to do in the end. You want to walk away and like, what the fuck? 
but then something hopefully and it did switch in them. But um, yeah, and there like, is a and like we well know the 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 person has to act actively do something, go and do something and ask for it. Yeah. Because it's it's really for people who want change, not obviously there's lots and tons of people who need it, don't realize it, won't accept it, but it is for those who want it. There's a, there's a different attitude when people want it. So maybe it's about getting to the point where you want it. That's when where that's when you have the impetus for real change in your life. Yeah, Put down your addiction. Look at look look at yourself. Do the hard work and come through the other side in a, some sort of transform transformative way. Which is to yeah, you've got to want it for whatever reason that may probably may be, and then asking for help because I always bring up the change in my life. It's not like I want to be a totally different person. I just wanted to go back to being me, whatever that is. And it was I asked for help. And I got it. And you keep asking for help, really, when you walk in the door and you're saying things, you're connecting with people. But it's hard, man. It's a hard perception in the mind. But like you say, you've got to want it. It's got to be that. I, I said to my mate, it's a gift. It's a gift that you're totally fucked, man. Don't you get it? It's a gift. You'll come out the other side because it's a gift of desperation. Um, for me, that was the big changing point. But uh, yeah, then you have to ask. You have to knock the pride and ask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You have to get to a point where you just can't continue. You you need to do something different. Um, yeah. And there is there's there's lots of different ways to do it. You know, we just happen to come through the same way. But yeah. I mean, it worked. But there's lots of different ways that you can. There is there's a, there's other people I know. Just the final one is um a one year no beer, and I because I. I was like, oh, maybe it's not going to work. And all, you know, because I go like to go into emotions, but it seems to work for a lot of people. It's like a, a website and it, maybe it's a bit of a business. I don't fully know, but I know it's on Facebook and people connect and they have spend a year without drinking and they go months and it does seem to work for people. Um, so it's just a little example of other ways other than 12 step programs. Um, for me, it worked and for you, it worked, but for some people, it's not, uh, it's not their thing, you know. Good to talk to you. Nice one, Justin. Appreciate it. Take Peace care. Good. See you later, man.